0: I'm Sonia, Dr. Sonia Onru. I'm the Laws Director at um, LSC in the Department of Law, and I just wanted to welcome you all here today. Um, I'm really excited to um, have Rakaya here with us, and she's going to speak to us on how French minorities are reshaping the image of La Parisienne. Uh, please excuse my pronunciation, it's not good. <laughs> French is not my forte. Uh, so just to give you a bit of background, Rakaya is a French journalist, a writer, and an award-winning filmmaker who's been widely recognized for her work on, <coughs> excuse me, which dismantles the barriers between racism and sexism and through the promotion of equality and pluralism. Um, as well as being a TV host and a pundit on several French and international networks, she's also a contributor to a number of magazines and newspapers. She's directed a number of documentaries as well, um, including the award winning Steps to Liberty. And she's co founded the Indivis- Indivisible, sorry, which uses the Wire Bonn Awards again my pronunciation, to highlight the best racist statements uh, that have been made by French public figures <clears throat> each year. She's the author of several books, including a graphic novel, and has curated an exhibition in Paris inspired by the book Afro, uh, which she co-authored with the photographer Brig- Brigitte Zombie. Rakea has also been the recipient of several awards, including the Women in Digital uh, Feminine Communications Award from LabCom Women, and in 2017 she was the only French person invited to attend the inauguration of the Obama Foundation. <clears throat> Excuse me. We're delighted to have her here today to speak to us about deconstructing dis- and displacing notions of beauty as whiteness within the French context. Uh, before we begin, sorry, just some uh, housekeeping issues. Uh, for those of you that don't know, the fire um, meeting point—hopefully there is no fire—is outside the Student Union, so the Saussure uh, Centre, which is on Sheffield Street. Uh, for those of you who use Twitter, the hashtag is LSC Law La Parisienne, which is on the slide as well. Uh, if I can just remind you to put your phones on silent, the event is being uh, videoed as well as recorded for a podcast, and hopefully, we, as long as there are no technical difficulties, that should be available in the next couple of days, I believe. Um, so what we'll do, uh, Rakaya will, will now come and speak for about 30 to 40 minutes, and then after that, we'll have questions to the audience. Okay.
1: Thank you.
2: Uh, just about the PowerPoint, so uh, I don't know how to move the slides. Uh, what should I? Just good, good evening. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I
0: difficulties.
2: Yeah. Uh-huh. I just, oh, is it here? Okay, perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, uh, LSC, and thank you to the Department of Law and to Dr. Uh, Sonia Onwu for inviting me. Um, First of all, I'm, yeah, I'm very honored to be here. It's my third time, I think, taking part to an event hosted by ARC. So as uh, Sonia told you, my name is Roque Diallo. I'm a journalist and a filmmaker, uh, at the same time involved in women and minority issues. I founded an organization that is called Les Indivisibles in 2007, based on the idea that uh, being French is not a matter of skin color, name, of, or religion. The reason of the creation of the organization was that France seemed to conceive itself as a mainly white and Christian country which is really far from reality. So when you think about France, race is the last thing you you think about many of the good things that we we connect to France are true, the food is delicious, uh, the sense of style is here. The monuments are man- magnificent, but there is a gap between the ideal of the country of enlightenment and the reality. France is the country of Europe that, are d- that has the largest population of Muslim, of black people, and of Jews. Another important thing is that France has a number of overseas t- departments and territories throughout the world, which, which are farmer colonies. They are all islands except uh, for French Guiana on the northeast coast of South America. It's, uh, on the, it has um, a border with uh, Brazil. And most of them have legally the same status as um, any other French department. So the concept um, of race in the Constitution uh, is very interesting because the word race is uh, subject to debate in France. We know that race has no biological existence, but it exists as a social construct producing social effects. So the first article of the French Constitution used to say, uh, France shall be indivisible, secular, democratic, and social republic. It shall ensure the equality of all citizens before the law without distinction of origin, race, or religion, and it shall respect all beliefs. And the word race has been subject to many debates, arguing that there is no such thing as race. Lawmakers last summer on a commission dedicated to revising the Constitution unanimously agreed that it, would be the best, that it would be best to remove the f- term race from the document, from the Constitution. From their point of view, as race does not exist, it should not be mentioned in any official text. So there is a paradox because race is not supposed to exist and at the same time the public discourses have found many, way to, many ways to refer to it. So what, what is interesting is that the word race should be uh, replaced by the word sex which is also a social construct, and it's sex, not gender. So it's something that has been unanimously adopted by the National Assembly, l'Assemblée Nationale, and it should go to the Senate to be um, adopted, and the word race would disappear from the French uh, Constitution which leads us to the myth of the French Republican universalism. There is in France the idea of uh, universalism, and equality is very much present in the French Republican ideology. The motto of the French Republic is uh, Liberté, Égalité, Fraternité. Uh, It exists today, uh, according to me, only as a theoretical ideal. So the, the the way we see race has an effect uh, on uh, ethnic t- statistics. So in France, um, they are also subject to debate. The UN has asked to France to publish detailed statistic, uh, statistics on minorities in the future in order to ascertain the disparities that, that immigrants uh, and their descendants are victims of. And because of color blindness, we cannot measure how ra- race affects millions of citizens, and nobody can measure the impact of anti-racist policies. Because in the census, we don't have any data about race. So it is possible to uh, study race, but it needs to be anonymous, so you cannot connect any data uh, related to race to one individual. It has to be, you know, to be blind. And so the other uh, consequence is that the concept uh, of minori- minority doesn't exist in France. Officially and legally, there are no minorities, whether they are ethnic, linguistic, religious or cultural. So either you're French or you're not French, and it is defined by the Constitution. So the consequence is that France would not sign any treaty that would mention minorities. Therefore, the Convention, for example, of the, for the protection of national minorities have not been ratified, have not been signed because of this principle. So France recognizes national citizens and foreigners, among which the European citizens have a special status. The constitutional framework has an impact on the policies that are defined by the government, so there is a paradox. The question of race is avoided and rarely expressed explicitly, but the issue of race is everywhere and discussed massively. And the policies are so mostly defined in terms of territorial disparities rather than race or equality of opportunities, but there are no policies targeting directly directly minorities. So France has always bragged about being a model of coexistence where the universalist and colorblind philosophy of our republic was supposed to protect us from racial tensions. In France, it is common to oppose the French universalism to what is referred, what is called communitarism, communautarism, that would be created by the minorities and inspired by the bad and multicultural example of the US or the UK. But to deny the existence of the minorities lead to deny the reality of the discriminations. So when people from the minorities organize themselves to tackle issues um, that affect them, they can be accused of breaking the colorblind and universal ideal and to feed communitarism. During the colonial times, the Republic itself created categories of French Muslims who were not citizens but subjects to the French Republic. So those categories have an impact on people who are from colonial descent and how, they, and on how they fit to the republic. If minorities have no legal existence, they exist socially and produce, uh, and it produces effect. And to me, the most powerful communitarism, communitarianism, is one, uh, the one that prevents the majority of the population from living, you know, in the most uh, wealthy district, for example. It's something that to me really uh, constructs, uh, uh, like a central identity that is seen as being neutral. And the most obvious, uh, you know, communitarism, Uh, the one that is visible in the structures of power, in business, in the media, or in politics, is never questioned in France. There is also something that is uh, very specific to France, um, and it's one of the main difference between, for example, France and the US, is that France has an official national language that is included in the Constitution. So the Article 2 of the Constitution says that the language of the Republic shall be French. So France has built the unity of its identity by strength. In 1794, Henri Grégoire, Labbé Grégoire, authored a report about the necessity and the means to annihilate uh, dialects and to make the French language universal. Uh, The the Indivisible Republic has been promoted thanks to the destruction of the local languages, so we can relate that to the fact that minorities don't exist, and the obliteration of local identities. Today, minority languages in the French mainland and in the overseas territories struggle to exist on their own. Interestingly, today, most of the people who speak French in the world are Africans. Uh, half of the 220 millions of the francophones in the world, uh, so there are half of the, the, that number, and it is increasing every year, every every day. Sorry, today it is not uh, f- in France, but in the Democratic Republic of the Congo that you can find the largest number of French French-speaking people. So that really asks you know question the way we you know French relates its identity to the to the language. So um, today, in France, the racist discourse focuses uh, more on culture using the concept of assimilation and integration to a so-called French monolithic identity. White French are commonly referred to as French stock, so, uh, like Français de souche, suggesting that the, there is an idea of a purity of the French national origin. The link between skin color and national status has a direct uh, direct implication for the perception of minorities in public space, in public space and issues that concern them. In, French, in France, we have a common motto, nos ancêtres les Gaulois. It refers to the Gallic, the former inhabitants of the Gaul, the, which was the former name of France, uh, that would become, like, that, that, so Gaul would become France. So even if uh, if, uh, a large part of its population is referred to as not belonging to the French stock, at the same time it doesn't recognize hyphenated identities. So there are no Arab French, officially Afro French or Asian French, either you're French or you're not French. Minorities are expected to be French above all and to be assimilated. And multiple affiliations, when they are claimed, are seen as threatening the national consensus and the national identity. So this idea of Francais de souche uh, was created by the National Front, the extreme uh, right party. So the Front National uh, has always played on the idea that there were two categories of citizens, the French by blood, who are called Francais de souche, an expression that was brought to the public arena by uh, Jean-Marie Le Pen. Uh, It was not by Jean-Marie Le Pen, actually, by Front National in its newspapers, Le National, in in 1979, and the French by-paper, Français de Papier, who were uh, immigrants or children of immigrants. And I have an example of how it can be used in the public sphere. I was called by uh um, Nadine Morano who is a MEP she's a member of the European Parliament I was called uh French by papers by her because we disagreed on a uh, public uh you know public matter political pu- political politic matter and it's interesting because the only reason she would call me French by papers is the the way I look because Morano doesn't sound really French either so <laughs> I <laughs> So um the, the, the there is other, um so I said that already about the ethnic statistic, there is um, another symbol of France that is very interesting. It's uh, Marianne. So it's a woman who is the symbol of France. Um, she, she, um, she is supposed to impersonate the French Republic. Uh, she was, she appears first in a, in, a, in a painting by uh, Delacroix. It was La Liberté Guidant Le Peuple, and she was a, a woman fighting for, for freedom and for the Republic. So she has been throughout history in, impersonated by women who would inspire the sculptures and, you know, from their faces build a sculpture that would be in all the public institutions. Uh, since the middle of the 50s, uh, it's not, it's, Before the 50s, it was just an average, uh, anonymous French woman. And since the middle of the the 50s, Marianne is inspired by very famous women. Like uh, you can see on the picture, Catherine Deneuve, Laetitia Casta, uh, Brigitte Bardot, or Mireille Mathieu. Uh, (laughs) And uh, as you can see, there have never been any non-white Marianne. And even in uh, 2014, that it, she was uh, Marianne was inspired after uh, Ina Shevchenko, who is uh, the leader of the Femen, who is not French. She's Ukrainian. And uh, it's interesting to see that um, it was easier to uh, be inspired by someone who is not French and who doesn't even speak French than uh, uh, to be inspired by someone who is French and who could be Asian uh, from African descent or Arab. So we are still wait- waiting to have... Um, like another kind of Marianne, and I uh, decided to show you uh, one of the the artwork of alexis Alexi peskin uh, it 's a black woman with the, the, so the, the, this kind of hat um, uh, with la cocarde like, so it 's called le Bonnet Frigien. i don 't know how you call it in english, and it was the like the, the hat uh, of the revolutionaries and um, he, he put it on the face of a black woman and he named it Mariam, which is the the African version of Marianne, and it's very interesting. The work, is, it works on black French identity, and it really it's really, really powerful. So Marianne is supposed to be uh, the French woman, like the one who is the most exemplary, and if you Google French woman, this is what you see. <laughs> so you can see there is no one who looks like me. Uh, most of the people that you see is like la, la française. So it's like when you see, for example, Audrey Totou or, or uh, Marion Cotillard and many women that are all white. Um, and it's, it tells a lot about, uh, the idea of, uh, you know, the, of womanhood that is carried between, behind, uh, the word, uh, you know, French woman. And, uh, the, the idea of French woman is, really hiding the fact that French women actually are very diverse. And I want to bring to your attention a film that was released, I think it was six years ago, by Audrey, it was so directed by Audrey Dana. Its uh, French titled is uh, Tous Sous les jupes des Filles, so under the skirts of uh, girls, under the girls' skirts. Skirt. Um, and the, interestingly, the, the translation that they decided to have inter- internationally was French women. And as you can see, all of them are white. And there are many, you know, it's not like there are two women, there are many, many. And the director didn't even think about, you know, displaying a very diverse idea of the, you know, of of, of the Frenchness. Um, Usually the image of Paris is associated uh, with history and monuments, and it's also the city of light and fashions. When you think about Paris, you think about its female icons like Brigitte Bardot, Catherine Deneuve, uh, Inès de la Fresange, or Alicia Casta. Those women have impersonated Marianne, as I told you, uh, who was a reference, um, to who is the reference of the uh, Republic. And you, it's difficult to connect uh, Paris and people of color. The supreme model of sophisticated womanhood has been embodied by the legendary blonde or brunette uh, French icon. And um, those, I, I wanted to show you those books. Uh, so th- one of them is uh, How to Be a Parisian. That was a major success in the U.S. It was uh, written by four French women, including Caroline de, de Maigret, who is a former top model, um, about how you, know, how you can be a Parisian. And you have the pictures of them. So it's not saying that they are not Parisian. They are obviously Parisian. But it's, it is the image of the Parisians that people like to refer to. And another book was also... Um, Published by Inès de la Fressange, who is also a former model, uh, which, is, which name is par- Parisian chic. Uh, I have also another book by Garance Doré, who is the, cel- the, the famous uh, beauty blogger, and dressed like a Parisian, uh, with also the same type of woman on the cover, like a, a thin brunette, uh, a white woman. And it's interesting because uh, the image of La Parisienne is very successful. Many people want to understand how it is to be a Parisian because we never age, we never gain weight, we, <laughs> we I don't know, I don't know, it's uh, the legend that is uh, propagated around the world. And um, the image that is displayed is really, doesn't really look like what you can see if you go, you know, in the in the Parisian streets. Um, it's like it's, it, there are not only French white bourgeois uh, women. So my work started from that point and started from um, a documentary I directed in 2013. So it, the name uh, of the documentary is The Steps to Liberty. Uh, uh, in the documentary, I followed a group of uh, young Americans in the discovery of uh, France through race. So in their journey, uh, the Americans uh, met Christiane Taubira a black woman who was who was at the time the minister of justice. So they were astonished to see a black woman holding such a position in France, and one of them, uh, who is African American, was particularly shocked to see her proudly wearing braids on her head. And she asked me, "Could you imagine Michelle Obama with an afro?" And I couldn't. <laughs> And it was interesting to see that, you know, people who were coming to France and interested by France couldn't even have in their mind uh, the fact that we had in the government, uh, you know, black people, black women, and holding one of the highest position was uh, Christiane uh, Taubira. So that question about hair really interested me because, uh, you know, the statement coming from an African-American remind, reminded me how uh, in the US, um, uh, hair has been uh, in the center of race issues. It's not a coincidence if the first self-made woman who became a millionaire, Madame C.G. Walker, became wealthy, creating a line of hair products for uh, white people, uh, black, black people, sorry, <laughs> black people in the early uh, 20th century. And at the time of segregation, the question of how uh, how to display black hair was crucial. And decades later, African-Americans struggling from the, for the civil rights also wanted to conquer the aesthetical landscape to proclaim equality. In a society dominated by white beauty standards, African-Americans had to show off and to create their own standards in order to build a new aesthetics. So black had to be beautiful. And it's something that uh, we can relate to in Europe and in France also. Uh, more recently have emerged a movement a movement uh, called napi, so napi is the contraction of natural and happy and it's uh, so the terms the term uh, is uh, supposed to deconstruct a term that that was meant to be um, offensive about, against uh, black hair and was made positive by people who wanted to wear the hair people black people and people from African descent who wanted to to um To wear the hair natural, so hair for black people is an issue. If you, for example, you Google um, on you Google unprofessional hair, you only have black hair. It's like uh, you mainly see uh, pictures of black women with natural hair. It means it doesn't mean that um, it means that it's a question that only black women you know ask to themselves, because you know no white woman would even think that their hair could be unprofessional. And that's the reason why you have, um, such an occurrence of, you know, pictures of, uh, black women asking themselves if the, if the hair can go, you know, with them to work or not. So the question of beauty can be seen as superficial and the fair amount of feminists fight beauty standards that oppress, uh, women's bodies. It's, But it is the legacy of a long historical process for non-white women and men whose features, dark skin, curly hair, almond-shaped eyes, who are excluded from what is considered beautiful, conquering beauty is deeply political. So it is a matter of being valued and respected in your own society. Claiming the beauty of natural afro is to reappropriate a feature that have been heavily stigmatized and marginalized. Uh, Being constantly hidden and transformed, curly and kinky hair can be seen as abnormalities that should be erased. Representations of straight hair are so dominant that actually people who don't wear their hair transformed are seen as the people who don't fit into the norm. Uh, and who want to make, you know, who are angry and who want to make the majority feel uncomfortable why they have done, haven't done anything with their hair. They just don't do anything. So um, France has been debating about diversity and representations of minorities in the public sphere for um, a long time, and the few black women who, make, who made it through the public sphere have straight hair. It is evolving, it is evolving, but it's still uncommon to see women with natural hair. So there is, for example, Christiane Tobira, or other women, but it's interesting to notice that Christiane Tobira is a, a politician and she's someone very, you know, very, you know, she, she has a very high con- consciousness of uh, the history of struggles, and I think it's one of the reasons why she's one of the few in the public lang- landscape in, the, in France. And at the same time, you can notice in the streets of Paris that more and more people are, are wearing their hair uh, at their natural state. Not only you can see people who do feel, not feel the need to hide their hair anymore, but they show their imagination with lots of different kinds of hair size uh, short hair, or longs, afro, dreadlocks, braids, um, vanilles. So it is the reason why I decided to portray uh, the Paris that I know. Uh, I started to work with a photographer who is named Brigitte Sombier and we started a book which is named Afro. Uh, uh, with this book we met uh, 141 people to take 113 pictures. It took us a year. Uh, What I wanted to display um, was uh, in the in the book was what I could see in the street and that I couldn't see in the media. My wish was to give visibility to a type to a type of hair and you know to features that are more uh, commonly hidden or transformed, so that it is no longer it's no it no longer has an existence in the collective imagination. It was about deconstructing the dominant standard of the straightened hair and the sacralization of the white girl flow. Uh, it was about giving the same aesthetical value and the same level of respect to natural Afro hair. I wanted to display um, those kind of hair. It was a way for me to make natural Afro hair visible and to give them a room in the, you know, in the collective minds. Um, usually, the so so um, as I told you, the image of Paris is associated to a certain type of uh, people. And the goal of my project was to display another fi- face of Paris. So I uh, interviewed people from African descent in the largest, um, you know, understanding. So I included people from North African descent, uh, mostly women, but also men. Those people were French and all foreigners. What they had in common was to be in Paris during the interview. It was a way for me uh, to, um, yeah, you know, to de- to deconstruct uh, the norm again, and to maybe to connect Paris with something else than uh, the traditional Parisian that I sh- I've showed you before. Because it's, it's, it's not. My goal was not to erase the image of the traditional Parisian because it's. Uh, La Parisienne is a, is also a kind of Parisian, but just to to um, maybe um, give a larger space, a larger room to all kinds of uh, of women. So we um, interviewed um, every person with the same kind of questions. So what was their journey through natural hair? Uh, it was a way to question fi- French identity, so how black, how Arab can you be until when you are you acceptable? So on the picture there is Juliette Fievet, who is a journalist, uh, she's she, she, she just um, in front of the Eiffel Tower. Um, she's a journalist for RFE, which is an international radio station. Uh, Bolewa Sabourin, who is a dancer. Um, and it's a family, uh, Peskin, so, so one of them is the, the, the artist who, paint, who, um, who created the image of Mariam, so with his mother and his two brothers. Uh, and so I asked to every person to pick a place in Paris that was meaningful and to, to, take, to take the picture. So it would be the place where they were born, where they, lived, where they have lived or worked, where they experienced something special. Um, I chose to anchor those faces in the Parisian landscape to portray the Paris that I have always known to the multiple figures who impersonate the city. Um, it was a way to challenge the image of the city that you usually see uh, because uh, it's not the faces you think about when you think about Paris. Um, and I wanted, I also wanted to Paris to be the main character because, uh, it's a city that is very dear to me because I was born and raised there. And it's always seen as a magnificent uh, city, but always associated with whiteness, which is not the case of a city like New York or even London, which is su- surprising since France is n- also very multicultural, as multicultural as those cities, so those cities. So there is Imani Griffon, uh, so the, one of the the, the, the the picture that is displayed, she's a young, uh, six, she was uh, 16 at, at that time, a group of students uh, in front of um, uh, La Sorbonne in Paris. Yeah, there were students in La Sorbonne, in front of, it wasn't in front of La Sorbonne, but in front of the Panthéon. Because I was studying in La Sorbonne. Uh, Leila Slimani, who is a French writer, who won the concours, the prix concours uh, two years ago. And Stevie Gustave, so he were, uh, he was um, a sign that is uh, the sign that uh, elected officials have when they are elected. So he was an elected official in the suburbs. So he wears red locks. And he told us that uh, because when you are an elected official in France, you can celebrate uh, weddings. And the first time he celebrated a wedding, the, like, the, the couple was like just scared <laughs> to see a, a man with a dreadlocks celebrating their wedding. They, they really were concerned about what was going to happen, and everybody, <laughs> every, everything went very well. But that says a lot about you know all the prejudices that you can have uh, according to um, you know how people look. And uh, there were also famous people, like the actress Aysa Maega, uh, the singer Inamoja, the rapper Yusufa, or the singer Princess Erika, uh, Kazer, who is also a rapper, Leila Slimani that I showed you, Alice Diop, who is a film director, Amel Shabi, um, comedian, actress, Moulou Claudia Tagbo, Imani, who is also a singer, Christian Taubira, that I told you about uh, already, but also many people who were not famous, um, most of them were um, from the middle class um, and artists. They had positions that allowed them to choose how they could wear their hair. It's important to mention that. Uh, because uh, you don't always have the choice of how you can display yourself, because in some positions there is no way you can just uh, decide to look in a way that would be seen as unprofessional. So it's interesting to see that, you know, one of we interviewed also another minister, a minister, uh, Georges Polangevin, who used to be the minister of uh, overseas territories, and we asked her about how people were dealing with the, her hair and she said, I don't know, maybe people are not happy but there's nothing that they can say because I am the minister. And <laughs> and it's something that you have, you know, it's a privilege to be able to, to make to make such a choice. Um, And so um, I told you that there were women and and men from African descent in the broad sense of term, including Caribbean uh, from the Indian Ocean also, so like territories from La La Réunion, which is also a French uh, territory uh, close to uh, Mauritius, uh, North African from Arabic and Berber origins, and they told their stories through their journey uh, through natural hair. Um, So it tells also a lot about uh, the representation of uh, you know people of color in the media uh, the public representation and uh, in fiction one of the last reports of the Conseil supérieur de l'audiovisuel which is the the highest instance in charge of regulating the you know TV, uh, the, TV ru- uh, the TV rules uh, it was saying that only 14% of uh, non-white people appear on TV and radio and mostly in lower social professional categories. And that figure includes people from um, American uh, productions. That means that um, it's not really accurate about how many people you have in French productions on TV. And when it comes to illegal or marginal activities, the rate is 37%, which is a lot. Uh, And only 9% of them are heroes. 29% of the negative attitudes are impersonated by people seen as non-white. Uh, The sociologist Marie-France Malunga uh, describes three types of characters impersonated by black people and minorities. So the first one is uh, the victim. So it's a poor person, someone from uh, the banlieue, uh, an undocumented person, or an enslaved person. It's someone who is uh, irresponsible or unhappy, uh, often saved by a white character. Uh, His or her irresponsibility echoes the colonial figure of the big child. The second character is the criminal. So it's often someone who is often connected with the banlieue. Uh, the person can be a bad citizen or troublemaker. The last one is a savage. So someone who is uh, perceived as backward, uh, uneducated, who doesn't know the codes of uh, so-called civilization. And uh, for black people, for example, it's often wizards or marabou. I don't know if you know what it's, it's like, the African wizards. Um but there have been some changes lately in films produced or directed by black uh, direct, uh, black people such as uh, Il a déjà tes yeux, he Even he even has your eyes directed by Lucien Jean-Baptiste or uh, or uh, l'Ascension, The Climb produced by uh, Laurence Lascari. And lately there have been um a book released uh, it was in May I think. Uh, Noir n'est pas mon métier, Black is not my profession, uh Aïssa Maïga. Uh, uh, the actress Aisa Maiga led uh, 16 Afro-French actresses down the red carpet um, in Cannes, in the Festival of Cannes, in protest of the lack of the uh, representation of, uh, uh, of uh, black actresses within French films. And it was a major, uh, I think, um, turning point because um, Usually, uh, production companies and, um, and you know, director would say, we would love to have black, Asian, or Arab actresses, but we don't know any, any of them. There are not many. And having that book with 16 actresses from 20 to 70 means that you have many you know, different kinds of black women with many different shapes, different generations, and that there is no way you can say that we, we don't find them. So some other changes have been made through social media, um, one of the earliest uh, beauty bloggers in France, uh, is Fatou Ndiaye, whose blog is named Black Beauty Bag. She started her blog in uh, 2007 and she's very influenced, influential uh, on Instagram. Uh, she is, um, the, the, living proof that, uh, Parisian beauty embodies more than the traditional, uh, you know, people I told you about, Catherine Deneuve and so on. And um, she said, uh, when she was interviewed uh, in uh, Vogue, uh, she said, I was raised uh, with the idea that French beauty is not only white or skinny uh, or blonde. So it was thanks to our family that she realized that she could also be uh, the impersonation of uh, the French beauty. And she, to her, being par- a Parisian is—it's uh, about uh, an elegant woman who cultivates a positive image uh, of herself, a woman who is beautiful because of her mind. So it means that she has been challenges that image, uh, working as a be- as a beauty blogger and be- being very influential, being uh, in the Festival de Cannes, working with very d- many different brands, and and you know just um, anchoring herself in the you know and and and. And making the image uh, of the, of La Parisienne uh, more inclusive. I have uh, also another uh, example uh, of influencer who comes from uh, reality uh, TV. Her name is uh, Nabila Benatia. She's the most influencer, influential Instagrammer, uh, Instagrammer in France. She's followed by 3.5 million people. Um, so she, she started from a reality uh, TV, a reality TV. Very, she was very young. I think she was 18. And from that uh, visibility, she started a business. I think that she's based now in London. She's a huge fan of uh, Kim Kardashian. And she was inspired by her, some of her work in the way she, she has been using social media. And what is interesting, she, she's, that she's from North African background and she, is, she inspires many of the young, of young women, young French women from Arab, North African descent, who did not really fit into the French female ideal. Uh, so the image I have chose to 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 um, to show you is uh, an exhibit uh, that took place in Paris when where her face replaced the face of La Joconde, the famous Joconde from uh, Leonardo da Vinci, uh, the pain, famous painting which is uh, in the Louvre, uh, to put her face. And it's interesting because it's also challenging the image that you have of the traditional French, even if uh, yeah French yeah the French woman uh, La Joconde being one of the most famous face, uh, faces of the French paintings. I also have another example, uh, which name, so it's a code name, Tokyo Banbao. Uh, she also, so she's from Asian descent, she's French, and she really is the, the, the model of the Parisian French. She uses the classical landscapes of Paris for her blog, and also mixes it with her passion from for Japanese mangas. She, she also draws, she draws comic little pictures, and she is very interesting because uh, if, People have trouble to connect Parisian with Arab and Black. It's even even worse when it comes to Asian people. So she's been one of the trailblazer of the Asian uh, infra- French influencer. But change also comes from pop culture. So there is a woman I need to ta- to tell you about. She is the most successful female singer. Um, <laughs> she has fans here. <laughs> So it hasn't happened for a long time to have a woman being uh, the leader of the French charts. Her name is Ayana Kamura. Um, she was number one uh, in the Netherlands uh, this summer, which hasn't happened uh, since 1961. And at that time, the number one was Edith Piaf, which is very funny because Edith Piaf is the typical parisienne she is la mom she is la vie en rose so she is the one that you relate you can relate to paris and ayana kamura is from malian descent and she mixes uh, her french uh, you know her frenchness with many different kind of music with the influence of caribbean music african music and r&b uh, american influences um and what's in- interesting is that she's very successful online she has millions thousands of millions actually uh, Hundreds of millions actually views on YouTube, but she's not, um, you, you don't see her on the covers of magazines. You don't see her on the cover of Elle or Grazia or even Glamour. And um, she was uh, nominated to a ceremony very lately, and um, the host of the show um, couldn't say her name. He said Yaka Nakamura. And then another host said Ava Nakamura. And a third person said something else. So it was—it was very. There was There, there is a, a gap between how popular she is among many people, and she's been successful not only in the in the in the, um, in, in the Netherlands, but also in Portugal, in many European countries. And I have seen many people, English-speaking people, just singing her song. And at the same time, the mainstream French don't really recognize her, and and she has been also. Um, exposed to what we call misogynoir. It's a concept uh, that comes from the US that was, theory to, to, uh, that was created by the scholar Moya Bailey, uh, which is the specific misogyny that face uh, black women. So being compared to guys, to men, uh, being animalized, being, you know, we, we, if you go on social media, she co- she's constantly criticized because of how she looks. And uh, she's not, that uh, praised for what she has done as a woman. So, but to me, she's uh, really someone who's changing the game uh, regarding uh, French pop culture. And to finish, I would like to show some, to show you some pictures of the clip uh, of um, the clip of Air France for the safety instructions um you find on if you have been uh, taking a plane for for, for for on air france lately you've seen the clip i guess uh, on the clip you see five women from different origin from different ethnic back, backgrounds so asian north african black brunette and blonde and it's uh, if a company like air france which symbolizes france uh, and its identity has chosen to display those figures it means that france cannot ignore its diversity anymore so now is the time to celebrate those multiple identities which may make our country operate an aesthetic revolution. Um, so uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's something to me that is very meaningful and it means that we have to take uh, into account that uh, our country is very diverse and that La Parisienne have to be Catherine Deneuve, Brigitte Bardot, and Inès de la Fressin, Fressange, but not lo- only. We need to include Aissa Maïga Imani, and also Ayana Nakamura. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you so much that was really interesting and in thinking through how we can kind of understand um, national identity um, and in relation to race as well uh, so now what we'll do is open it up for questions uh, so if you would like to ask a question please raise your hand and the stewards will come around with the mic and if you can just state your name and where you're from that would be great uh, your affiliation let me not say where you're from um, and thank you and we'll probably take two or three questions at a time so that Rico can answer them all any questions hello um, my name is Aisha I'm from London Um, I just wanted to ask a question well first of all thank you for your presentation it was really insightful and um, really needed Um, I just wanted to ask a question regarding the uh, la republique indivisible Mm -hmm. and US multiculturalism why do you think that the French as a republic tend to compare or contrast themselves with the U.S. multiculturalism when, first of all, you have the U.K. up the road. And for me, I feel like our multiculturalism is a bit more successful than the U.S.'s version. So that's my question. Um, thank
2: you for your, your question. There are some, some other questions, right? Does anybody yeah. have another yeah. question?
0: Well,
2: then go for it. So um, I don't think that people make such a difference between the UK and the US in the French public discourse. Uh, I, hear, I hear a lot of people referring to multiculturalism as something Anglo-Saxon, so Anglo, you know, including the US and the UK. And it's different, but from the French perspective, we are the universal and you are the you know, multicultural. And um, I think that we tend to think that it's a good thing not to to acknowledge the fact that people are, you know, from some different ethnic background, and there is maybe maybe something related to our history that uh, makes us unable to, or not willing to, to create to create that divide because uh, there was the war, and during the war people have enabled, uh, you know, Jews. It was to, it was made to exterminate them. So there is a national trauma that I really understand that makes people really uncomfortable with you know having public data with uh, any 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 background because we are we are aware of the way it could be used by the government
3: hello um, thank you very much for your presentation um, so I'm I'm French but I'm from, uh, of North African background so obviously it speaks a lot to me so I wanted to thank you for for your presentation and also like um, I mean what you go through in France I think is also very difficult sometimes so I want to say full support for, for what you have to go through sometimes in in France um, my question is uh, I've I've recently read um, a book from I don't know if you know him uh, he's a French Tunisian uh, author called uh, Sadri uh, Riari, mm-hmm. and he's part of uh, Le Parti des uh, Indigènes de la République, which is kind of this uh, uh, movement uh, for the indigenous, indigenous of the republic. so those who have kind of colonial background in, in France. And what I kind of get, the message I get from that, uh, and as someone who's from both Brittany, so kind of that identity that's been kind of squished by, by uh, the French nation-state and as someone of, of North African background, is that it seems like my identity is kind of antagonistic in in france so that you can never reconcile the 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 white male and the you know the indigenous from from africa that in that the republic cannot accommodate this right so i was wondering if you were maybe a bit more optimistic about that did you think that you know fundamentally the republic cannot never accommodate for its indigenous i guess you know for for the people like us who have different background and who identify differently to the french narrative and, and and all that
2: Thank you. Thank you for your support, and uh, thank you for your question. I think that there is um, a myth of the Republic because if you look into the past, the Republic has been able to create division between the the citizens. The category French Muslims was in the in the law, and it was the Republic. So it means that um, at some point, the Republic is really able to see the differences between citizens when it's you know when it's. It's um, it's uh, an advantage for for it, um, and I would say that I'm optimistic because if I wasn't, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do something else, something very different. So, and I, I have the feeling that um, even if it's it's we, we we're really going through hard times, the debate is is shifting, and that's the reason why. I don't know if you've seen uh, last week there is a, a group of uh, 80 uh, intellectuals who signed uh, an op-ed in Le Point. Who, uh, to, um, to, in the group, there was uh, Alan Finkel quote and all those kind of people. So to protest against uh, the people who were obsessed by race, like basically people like me, uh, I was the only person named in the in the, in the op-ed. Uh, I was I was honoured. <laughs> and it, it, it's very interesting because if you know if it was if the work that we are doing uh, wasn't important, they, they wouldn't care. The fact that you have 80 people gathering together to sign an op-ed to say that they were worrying about what was going on in France, meaning it means that there is something going on, not only in the public sphere, in the media, but also in the universities. They were complaining in the, in the op-ed a lot about the fact that you have, you have many scholars who are working on race and gender. So that, is, that means that something is moving, something is coming, and that they, they, they can no longer uh, act as if those ideas
4: didn't exist. Hi, um, I'm and I'm from France. Um, first of all, yeah, thank you for that talk, because that was amazing. And if you're being singled out by people like Fink and Crowe, it means you're doing something really good. <laughs> so please continue. Um, so my question, because um, basically I've been listening to your podcast, which is also amazing. If uh, For the French speaker, it's Kif Taras. I'm doing some promotion for you, but it is a really good one. And I've been binging it very quickly this week. Um, but I kind of follow you and I see all the abuse you're getting. And sometimes I'm really wondering, like, how do you get through it? Because, for instance, um, you just posted an article celebrating the fact that black ballerinas get to have brand, brand points, which is nothing controversial. And you just got that torrent of abuse, like, out of nowhere. People being like, stop being such a drama queen, blah, blah, blah. And it's just, I mean, if you can 't even get to celebrate normal i mean nice achievements like i don 't know how you do it because i get I see how Twitter gets me, in, so I was just kind of wondering
2: thank you thank you for listening to the to the podcast i'm glad i am hosting it with the with the blogger and and writer Grassley, so she will be happy to know that uh, <laughs> people listen to her here also um, it I think that i you know being one of the few people of color in the you know in the media not not because there are many people of color in the media but few of them have platforms to comment the news and to analyze it and that's the re- reason why i'm targeted because we are not many to be able to give opinions and that's the reason why i get so much at- attention because we're not many like uh, ever since i say something it has an impact because there is something that has to do with white fragility, I think, that because you have people who have uh, for a long time lived uh, in the comfort of not, not being confronted to what we were experiencing. Those conversations was, were um, you know, only occurred in, in closed you know, close spaces. And now I'm able to just draw attention to those uh, concerns. And that doesn't make people comfortable. That's the reason why I get so much ag- aggressivity. Um, but it means that uh, they have to pay attention. Like they cannot ignore us anymore, and they have to to deal with the fact that I'm here and I work. Uh, you know, I'm, I work on t- on TV, so they have to they have to take into account that I exist. And if I exist, we are millions. I'm one of the few to ha- to to be fortunate enough to to be able to um, to uh, how can they say that to just to uh, to, to to, to speak to speak out uh, in, in, but I know that i 'm not the only one to work on those issues and to, to think what I think, so it's, I think the only reason is that they, are, they were not ready for uh, you know, us to just to exist and to, to have uh, you know platforms and they have to deal with us and i 'm fine because um, you know Twitter is not real life <laughs> I have you know real life with actual people, and i, I I'm lucky because I travel a lot, and I helps to put distance between France and me, and you know, to understand uh, the debates um, with another perspective. So it's, it helps to see that you know some debates that we have in France doesn't have, don't have any sense when you are out of France. Like the obsession that we have for the hijab, for example, it's something that is really French. Once you are out of France, you realize that no one is more obsessed by the hijab than yeah like, like maybe Muslim countries, but <laughs> but there is no equivalent to that, so that's interesting to see that a country that claims secularism is you know has the same attention to Muslim women's hair as you know a country like Iran or I don't know, Saudi Arabia.. <laughs> <coughs>
5: Hi, I just,
6: my name is Adiola Akande Pierre-Noël and I work here at the LSE. Um, I'm also married to a French man um, and he's of mixed heritage. Um, So this was super crazy insightful for me actually and I would like to deconstruct some of that at a different time. But um, I guess what I wanted to say is thank you so much for your visibility and thank you so much for using your voice. And we are your neighbours right here in the UK. Is there something that we can do to support you in France? Like I belong to a sorority here in London, and in that group there's lots of black female journalists. Is there something we can do to lend support to your struggles and challenges and
7: movement in France?
2: Thank you so much. Thank you for your support and for showing uh, solidarity. Uh, It's very, you know, having contacts other friends has been very helpful to me. Uh, for example, I don't know if you've heard about the fact that I was appointed to a, a council last last year. I was appointed to be part of the digital, national digital council, which is a body that is independent, and it was a like an unpaid and voluntary position. And the appointment comes, you know, is um, made by decree by the prime minister. So I volunteered to be there because I was asked to. I was asked to, and it's about you know thinking about digital policies and how it can improve the, the, the lives of French people. And once my appointment was made public, you know, social media went crazy and many people called, like, the Prime Minister's office and the President's office to ask them to remove me. And in 48 hours, the Minister in charge of digital issued a statement to say that he asked to the head of the Council to give him a new list. And everybody understood that the new list shouldn't include me. And she was, uh, you know, she, she she went to the to the president's office, and they made clear that they wouldn't accept any list that would have my name. And what was beautiful that is that she decided to resign, and everybody in the council, uh, uh, including me, resigned also. So there was no council for six months. And from that point, we, you know, the the, the Guardian here, uh, a journalist from the Guardian uh, called me, and she made a paper. And from that, there was a paper in the in the New York Times. And that was so powerful because it it showed to friends that people were watching, you know, what was happening to France, out of France, and that what I do is not only not uh, only uh, you know having an effect inside our borders, but it also, you know, some other people have access to what I do, and that was really helpful to 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 show that, because the reason why I was I was uh, removed from the council is that is because I um, used the phrase. state-sponsored racism, institutional racism. And in France, it's very controversial to say that there is institutional racism. And uh, because you're accusing the Republic of not, not being perfect, you see. And, uh, <laughs> and that was the reason, that was the main reason they wouldn't want, they wouldn't want me to be in the council. Uh, they would say, if you say that the state, is raci- the state can produce racism, you cannot be in a, st- you know, in a state body, in an, in- in an institution. And it was crazy because, you know, saying, you know, a black woman says that there say it sponsors racism, and the response is that you remove her. It's like, it's just, you know, making my point. And, um, and it was, the way it was, it was uh, understood out of France was really, you know, um, the fact that as a black person, I couldn't, there was, there, there, there were many things that I couldn't say publicly and that were not accepted as, uh, in the same way as there would have been if it was, if it was authored by white people. And so the, having people, um, you know just giving platforms out of friends that helps me a lot you know being able to go being able to go to the united nations for example being here even it's something that um, that shows to the french people that i'm not speaking nonsense because that's how they, they want you to feel to feel that you are you know the radical crazy angry black woman and having people who respect my work is something that uh, value what i do and that help other people to just um, go to the, the, the same path as, uh, as I do because I've been doing that for 10 years now and I hope that younger people will follow the, the same, the same yeah. journey.
7: <laughs> okay,
8: thank you. <laughs>
2: Um, well, I'm actually um, Belgian, so <laughs> a little bit of a
8: difference. Um, but it's the same. <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm Belgian, and I mostly grew up in Europe, but I'm also half Colombian-American. Um, and so for me, your talks are very inspiring, and your, the work that you do has been very inspiring, and I've been following you also on Instagram for about a year now. Um, so thank you for coming. And um, and I guess like I was just um, thinking that also like in Belgium, while we have it is quite a different political system and it's very fragmented in its own ways. But um, we also have a lot of issues in terms of like with not acknowledging minorities, not having the same kind of census. And even though it's quite different from French universalism, there's still a quite that sort of, um, that sort of touch to it, that sort of feeling to it. Um, And so I was wondering, do you think it would be possible that to be able to develop like sort of like grassroots models of, sort of like minorities across Europe that can perhaps like reunite together even though um, we clearly all have our own difficulties and own levels of structural, of like being um, facing structural institution and institutional racism. If that
2: makes thank, sense. Thank you. Thank you for your, your, your question. Um, there are, Already, many uh, European networks. I was, um, I used to be part of the board, uh, uh, the board of uh, Inar, which is a European network against racism, which is based in Brussels. Um, I'm also uh, a board member of the CIG, which is the Center for Inter- Intersectional Justice uh, in Berlin. And in the board, there is also Kimberlé Crenshaw, who is the who, who started the concept of uh, intersectionality. Um, and I, I remember earlier in the year I took part to um, uh, a symposium in, in Brussels uh, hosted by Malika Amidi about uh, intersectionality. So there were women from France and from Belgium, Thinking about uh, being a minority and being a woman—that was very interesting. And we are working on a book together, um, which will be published next year, I guess. And it's like a very cross-border book. From you know, with I think that there is there are also many there may be people from the U.S., but from France and from from Belgium for sure. And um, I know that there are some networks that are working on at a European level, but you should really look at what uh, NR is doing because um, they have, they are pushing um, the European Parliament to uh, take into account um, black people, the number of black people. And I took part to a, a meeting at the uh, Parliament, uh, the European Parliament, in I think it was in March, and there were many people from different European countries, and it was hosted by a different MEP from different countries. So there was Ceci Di who is Italian, um, and, some, and two other MEPs from, I think, northern countries, which means that it's also a space and an institution that we could use to push, uh, because you know, the, the, the laws that are voted at a European level had, have to be translated into local laws, which means that <laughs> having influence on what happens uh, in Europe uh, um, regarding discriminations has an aspect uh, in France, we have uh, uh, an entity that is called, uh, called the Defender of Rights. Uh, it was formerly called de La ALDE, La Haute Autorité de Lutte contre les Discrimination, and it was created thanks to European leg- legislation for all the... Um, the, the countries in Europe have to have uh, bodies that, that fight uh, discrimination. So that means that those spaces have to be taken and, you know, to be just to, 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 to connect with people and to uh, people have to use them to, uh, to push uh, measures for equality. <coughs> <Thank you.
5: laughs> Good. Hi. So, um, uh, my name is Rim. I'm also French and North African, Algerian and Tunisian. It's important. <laughs> First, um, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing in France right now. She's not saying it. She's being modest, but she's getting huge backlash in france every time she's tried to speak up about issues and while we are allowed to support her she has to deal with a lot from both politicians journalists and fake uh, scholars like Finkelgroth and all those people so really keep keep up the good fight and i don't know but you're super resilient so thanks for everything you're doing um my question would be i left france a long time ago but i'm still very much annoyed and um affected by how things are going in my country, I guess, because um, I feel like something is moving forward in some spaces, like you mentioned Twitter, but not only, like, actual organizations um, that are, for example, we can mention the March for the Dignity that happened on the 31st of October in 2016. Uh, that was a march led by a non-white woman, uh, first for against police violence, and that was the first time since, I guess, the... Protest in 2005 after the death of ziedebuna that a lot of non-white people came to the street in paris and protested it was incredible a very interesting event that led to many other organizations keep fighting on those issues so there is something happening but we're so far from uh, from the uk and the us in terms of debate that we can actually have on public tv on mainstream media and that's why whatever we're trying to do is still kind of impossible to understand for most of the French people, because they never had to think about race as something that actually existed. And even speaking about whiteness, it's too much. So um, now we're having some of the scholars' work that is translated in French, which is good, like the basic like bell hooks and everything, so we at least have some books, but I think we are, we are arriving to an end to what we can have from the Anglo-Saxons, though the UK and the US, and we need to think by ourselves on stuff that are very French about this republic, about laïcité, about... I remember having so much trouble explaining communautarism and laïcité to non-French people or non-Belgium, never siding or <laughs> cousin. Um, so that, they, there is a need for that, to think about race and post-colonialism in the French context, because once we read all of the English lecture or books on it, we still don't find solution for our own context. So, yeah, my question is that what can we do by ourselves even though i'm really glad i live in london it's a great a city and i'm i'm grateful for all the work did by the anglo saxons i think there is things that are just too crazy in france to be dealt by other people Okay. But thank you for everything. And I wish <laughs> you. you could listen to Ayana Kamura, and you should all do. It's
2: great. <laughs> She's very good. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for your support and for mentioning what I'm going through in France. It's, it, it says a lot about um, how difficult it is to, to tackle issues of, uh, of race there. Um, I think that we have many scholars, more and more actually, scholars who think uh, from the French per- perspective, so they they can refer to uh, um, you know work f- from the from the U.S., but their, 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 their thought, the way they they deal with race, is based on on, uh, on um, you know the French perspective, and we tend to to forget that we you know Frantz Fanon uh, is French, and he inspired many people you know yeah, or Colette Guillaume, for example, she wrote about race in the early '70s, and um, People tend to think that we import th- you know ways of thinking from the US or from the UK but we have our own thinkers that are forgotten that are not really uh, claimed or not really praised mm-hmm. and it is also difficult for scholars especially, especially scholars of, uh, color, of color not to be seen as activists i'm thinking about uh, Mabula Soumaoro. Who is a, a scholar who is based uh, in? Who's she teaches in uh, Tours University François at Tours and also in Sciences Po, and she she um, she studied in uh, in the U.S. in Columbia University. She also taught in Columbia University, and last week there was an article um, in Le Monde about the ten uh, the ten women who were thinking who were rethinking Africa, and she was among those ten women. So it was mostly French uh, French speaking. Uh, French woman or French-speaking woman from African descent or African, and she was among those uh, ten women, and she was referred to as uh, la militante, like the activist. And to me, it's like, no, she's not an activist; she's a scholar. And you know, that way of just diminishing the work of people who think, who work, who research, is something that we have to 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 to, to, to tackle because it 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 really. Um, it it it, uh, it 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 it's meant to um, to put less value on what they do, and uh, and it to um, like to to make them not being seen as uh, being intellectuals, you know, just dealing with emotion and not rationality. So we need to know more about our own scholars and maybe stop preferring only to Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and maybe thinking about who are our own, you know, activists, civil, civil rights leaders. We um, yesterday was um, the 3rd of December. It was the 30, 35th anniversary of the end of uh, La Marche pour l'Égalité Contre le Racisme. So it was the march for equality and against racism that took place in 1983 in Paris. It was started by an, a man who is called Toumi Djaja. Nobody knows him in France. And he started a march uh, from, you know, there were 12 people in Marseille, and at the end there were uh, uh, 100,000 in Paris. And there were, uh, you know, the president, François Mitterrand, uh, met them at his palace in uh, the Elysée. So it's something historical that nobody knows about. And uh, Toumi Jaija lives uh, in the suburbs of Lyon, so we can, anybody can go and see him and speak to him. So that means that we have to work around our own history and to know more about our, 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 um, our history and our, our leaders instead of constantly referring to Nelson Mandela, uh, you, you know, Martin Luther King, Angela Davis, who are iconic you know, civil rights leaders, but who cannot be the one hiding uh, people who were uh, active in our, in, in our history. So that's something that needs to be done, and we need to praise people, those people and to, to tweet, to post you know, um, on social media about them when, whenever there is an anniversary or an event uh, related to what they have done.
0: Any other questions? <coughs>
1: Hi, um, I'm another French, uh, just moved to London a month ago. I have a question about uh, about social media. Um, it's a tool that you're using and uh, a lot of people are using to raise awareness around those issues, and that's very much needed because otherwise it wouldn't get any attention. Uh, however, I find that it's uh, highly pol- polarizing in a way that um, it's not really a great place to have um, peaceful discussion and it tends to paint people of any opinion um, with a very harsh and very, very uh, specific way. Like basically, what you're getting is a caricature. I can't pronounce it. Um, to which extent do you think it's um, a helpful tool? And how else would you would you bring that discussion? Um, to to the eye of the public but um, maybe using tools what can, what would be your ideal tool if there, there was one thank you thank you for your question it's true that
2: um, on social media you get people who are not there to have you know debates or to understand or to have peaceful conversations you have people who are just there to troll you and to to make sure that you will never get to you, to your point but at the same time to me, it's a way to give visibility to certain ideas, to make people who are maybe who may, may feel lonely um, defending certain ideas where they are, to see that there are other people who share their views elsewhere. For example, the collective that is named Moisi, which is an Afro-feminist collective. I think it started uh, maybe three or four years ago, and all the women from that collective connected on social media. If it wasn't for social media, they would never have known that they existed, and they would never have connected. So to me, it's, it's a tool that is powerful in that way, but it's not the only one. I, I, I wouldn't say that there is a tool that is better than the other ones, but all the tools have to coexist at the same time. So most of my work is on TV and radio, but I also direct documentaries, and to me, documentaries is the the one that is... Maybe the most interesting because you can spend time uh, with people and you have uh, like at the end of the day you have a film um, that exists by itself and that can travel and that nobody can just interrupt to say something else it 's uh, it's something that is that you know is by, by, by its own and it's, uh, it, to me it 's uh, very powerful, but books also having uh, from afro for example. Um, uh, we made an ex- uh, we made actually four exhibitions so the first one was in paris uh, in a place which is uh, la maison des metallos so it's a place it's, it's a place which is uh, related to the um, you know the the, the it's it's uh, funded by the city of paris and um it's great to just have a space, which is like a public space and being able to have a, a big, like, one of the pictures that I showed you, showed you was on like three meters on, and, and two meters. It was very big at the entrance of the exhibition. And we had the workshop, workshops around the exhibition with young people about, uh, you know, writing work, workshops, workshop about hair, about, uh, you know, how, how to, you know, about self-esteem. And it's something that, um, you can create from what you do. I like to, to use my work to recreate other forms that can help me connect with people that wouldn't be maybe interested to, in, in what I say. If I said it only on radio, on, you know, news, news, news show, because, uh, it's, it's not always accessible or even interesting. But having that exhibition, having, um, documentaries, having then books, it's, uh, It's my way of uh, trying to... To be in different spaces and use uh, different platforms. Also having the podcast, for example. Uh, I started the, box, the podcast in September and I have been to many different countries and I have many people from, you know, who didn't live in France and who are francophones who told me I listen to your podcast. So that means that you can really touch people who are far away from you and who are interested in what you say in a very more, in more efficient way that you can do with TV because TV is very local. So, to me, I, would, I wouldn't leave social media, but use it for what it is, like to connect with people, even you know, following, uh, I don't know, what happened around Adama Traoré, who was a victim of police brutality, or another one, Xiaoyu Liu, who was also another Asian man, a, a victim of police brutality. It was made public thanks to social media. If it wasn't for social media, nobody would have known the name of Adama Traoré. And it means that it can be, par- and it forced The traditional media to cover what was happening in Beaumont-sur-Oise, which is a city. Because many people die every, you know, 15 people die every every year uh, in the hands of the police, and most of them, 90% of of them, are men from Arab and African, from North African and Sub-Saharan African descent. Um, or or black I would say because there are people from Caribbean descent actually so it means that we don't know their names but thanks to social media we could have uh, information about that specific man who died two years ago
6: (laughs) Hi uh, so um, again thank you for your work and I'm I'm following your work as well and I find your work really impressive the way you you stand out in France eh, with the the current situation without much confidence and resilience as they say. Um, My question, so I I have a comment then, a question. So I I listened to your comment uh, earlier on, no, the the lady behind you. And you said, um, um, my country, I guess, which kind of yeah, raises a question, like, some doubt. And myself, I I came, uh, I mean, I I arrived in the UK seven years ago, so I'm French, sorry, obviously, (laughs) and from Paris. um, I'm in the region, (laughs) because we all know Paris doesn't mean zone one. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, so I I arrived in the UK seven years ago, and when people asked me, where are you from? I used, so I'm a Ghanaian uh, descent, so, um, so from Ghana. Uh, and when they asked me where I was from, I used to say Ghana, and they would, automa- so I mean in the UK, they automatically asked me, um, where, when did you arrive from Ghana? And I said, no, I wasn't born in Ghana, I was born in France. Uh, so, yeah, I was born and raised in France, but I'm Ghanaian. And they said, no, so you're French. And I said, well, yes, but I'm, I'm kind of Ghanaian. <laughs> and, and this is, and then I had a lot, I met a lot of uh, black or even Asian Asian uh, British people would would just call me out on that and I didn't understand because obviously in France the way we we see things we'll never call ourselves French we know we're French kind of you know we are born and raised in France but we don't have a culture where we 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 taught to embrace it as much as in the UK where you ask uh, like a black person or an Indian person where are you from especially when you're in uni they'd say I'm from you know I'm from uh, I'm from Leeds I'm from, you know, I'm from Birmingham or some somewhere else. And when you say, no, I mean, where are you from? Like, really, well, I'm from the north. And I'm like, no, you're not, like, you're not white. So, you, you, like, if you're coming from a French perspective, that's how you see things. And I learned to, ta- to change that perspective living in the UK. So this is just a comment. And then I, I would like to ask you your views or how you see what... Um, if you have any comments on what happened to Absatou, uh, I mean, uh, in France, would there be more polemics? And what are you? Because I think it's it also kind of raises. It's exactly. It's aligned with what I'm saying. Like we don't feel like we 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 can call ourselves French apart apart from when we're outside of France. We feel French when we're outside, but we're not. We don't really feel French when we're in France. If that makes sense.
2: Thank you for sharing your your experience. It's the exact reason why I started my organization, uh, Les Indivisibles, because when I was asked where I was from, I I said that I was French and I was from Paris, and people insisted so much that I started to, you know, just to wonder why would you think that I come from any other place? Uh, and, And it's, you know, how I understood that what people, you know, would refer to as the French person. Even in France, especially in France. And, um, so regarding what happened to see, so she's, a, a TV, um, TV host, and she's part of a show where, um, uh, a journalist named Eric Zemmour was invited. So he's famous for having been con- convicted for racism several times. And, um, so he's like uh, the defender of the French identity and, the, you know, the French that have, shouldn't have been, mo- shouldn't have moved from, what it was uh, 200 years ago and he um, says that uh, if you are French you should have a French name. So he said that on the TV set and then one of the hosts Absatou C. said my name is Absatou so, and he said Le, yes uh, your parents should have named you Corinne. And uh, and he said that his uh, her name was ins- an, an insult to France. And he was what was shocking is that there was not much support, there was no support from the host of the show, the main host of the show and she ultimately left the show she had to, she, she, she left the, the thing to, if, you, if you really want my opinion about that um, I had a debate with Eric Zemmour in 2010 and he told me the exact same thing about my name so and he wrote, I remember in, I think it was in 2009 That's the reason why I asked him about my name, What you know, what he was thinking about that, about uh, Zora Dati, who is the, 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 the daughter of Rashida Dati, who was the minister of justice, who is uh, from Moroccan and Algerian descent, because she named her daughter after her mother. And he wrote a whole paper about the fact that she shouldn't name her daughter with that name, which which was which is Arabic. So, you know, having that debate about Eric Zemmour now, you know, almost 10 years after, it, may, it just makes me... You know, tired because Eric, um, Thierry Ardisson, who invited me, knows well what he thinks. And when he invites Eric Zemmour, it's, he expects him to, to play that game. And commenting what he says over and over, it's just feeding, you know, his, his character. And it makes him sell many, many books. I, have, I had the debate almost ten years ago with him. Why wouldn't would I say again what I said already? The debate is on YouTube. You, can, you just type my name and Eric Zemmour, you have it. It was I think it was one of my my first TV oh. debates, but that means that everybody, all the, the people who are. You know, blaming Eric Zemmour, we, we all do and it's, it's, it's fine. But the people to blame are people like Thierry Ardisson who invite him knowing what will happen and making him earning money because he sells lots of books. And thanks to the controversy, he has been one of the bestsellers in France. So I think that there is a problem in just the way we are so... We, t- we, we, we take so much time commenting what he says and you know, I was, I was sad, sad when I heard um, Absatou saying that uh, Eric Zemmour, uh, you, he, he, he excluded me from the Republic. To me, Eric Zemmour has no power to exclude anyone from the Republic. He excluded himself when he was convicted. So uh, uh, I, I, I won't give him the power to, to decide what we will debate about. I, I won't come to him to explain that I am a, a valuable human being and that my name is okay. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not up to him to, to, to decide that that should be a debate because there is no debate about that. It's just some angry, angry white man that should really be left alone. <laughs> I think that we, we need to take the spaces to, to, to do things and to, that's what I wanted to, to do with Afro. It was just to give a new image of my city. And I don't want to be, you know, people to, um, to feel, to feel pity for me. Like, oh, it's so hard to be black. You know, poor black woman, poor black people, they suffer so much. We do have many issues, but I want to, to display an image of ourselves that, you know, of proud people who are happy with what they are and who belong. Who belong, and we can shape another image of our city that 's the reason why I, I prefer to create my own debate than to follow the debate that are created by others and that, that I can relate to what you said when you asked me about the, the controversy around the the, the, the point shoes what 's interesting is that uh, whether it 's point shoes but because there was another controversy about uh, band aids uh, earlier in the week uh, the year. Um, Nobody cared about Ben aid before I said something about it. And you had so many people commenting it, and it became a topic in the French public. You know, uh, public sphere. So that means that I was able to make people who don't care about black people and brown people speak about the band aid that doesn't, doesn't fit. Even if they they, they they speak about it to to say negative things, they had to speak about it. And I think that it's, it's, this is what we should do: speaking about our, our, our issues. And if people are unhappy, they will comment what we decide um,
7: that is uh, worth speaking about. Sorry, if we have one last really quick question yes thank you um i'm also from paris oh. <laughs> um, i think one of the things we like too much in france is debating and we don't that yes it's much. <laughs> much. so um one of the things i like about the uk is the fact that uh, when people were confronted with uh, structural racism they've organized themselves and put together saturday schools So it really uh, provided children with um, a bit of cultural and historical background as well as academic background. So one question, do you think that because things are moving in France, well slower but moving, that the same kind of initiatives could come up or if it is already moving up? And then the second question is, uh, can you give um, the name of like three strong uh, female characters that would impersonate the struggle of like, um, minorities, even though I don't like saying minorities because we are the majority on the global level, uh, who represent basically the civil rights movements in France because we hear a lot about other countries, other areas, but not so much about the people who do things uh, from a French perspective.
2: Thank you. Um, I don't know how we would be able to organise in the same way, but I agree uh, in the fact that we need to be more pragmatic, and maybe to, pr- to produce content, whether it's films, books, that would be, you know, uh, food for you know for thought for younger people. It's what we, there is a lack of that in France today, and we need to have more people being able to make films. And I mentioned Lucien-Jean-Baptiste, but there are also people like Alice Diop, um, or uh, Lajli, who are making films, and who I'm, I think may be able to move a little the film, the movie landscape. Regarding uh, female women, uh, I would maybe name um, La Mulatresse Solitude, who is um, a woman from the French uh, Caribbean, West Indies, uh, who was a former slave who uh, fight against, uh, you know, the French uh, colonization and slave and slavery in uh, Guadeloupe? Um, she has a statue there, and she's someone that is um, that we should know. I think. Um, who can I name? Uh, you mean someone in history or someone now? Or, uh, um, I've I've told a lot about Christiane Tobira but I think that she's someone that really. C- Kant um, as a historical figure already, even if she, she, she's um, still working a lot. Uh, she's, she's the one who um, was the champion for the law uh, who recognized slavery as a crime against uh, humanity in 2001. And she also championed the law for same-sex marriage in 2013. So you have two, two, uh, two um, historic Historic laws that was that were voted under her name, which is quite, um, you know, it's it's not it's not really common. So it's, it's someone to remember, and someone else. Um, it's difficult, but maybe um, I don't know. But I think that now I work with I I co-host a, a podcast with um, a writer and blogger, which name is Grassley. And she's uh, she's uh, from a Chinese and Cambodian uh, background, and it's interesting because she just just published a novel um, a couple of weeks ago, jeune fille modèle, and the the um, it looks, it's Grace Lee L Y, and it's one of the first novels um, about a French, teen from Chinese background. So there there is there is a need. To um, to tell more about the French people from uh, Asian background because they have n- they don't have many representations and Grasse was uh, one of the first to speak about that on her blog first and then you know with the writing she has also um, a web series which is which name is Sareste entre nous so it's conversations among people from Asian descent and it's online it's on YouTube it's free and she creates events on that and to me it's something very new because before uh, like three, four years ago, there was not, re- there were not many debates about being French and being Chinese, being French and being Vietnamese. It wasn't, wasn't it wasn't something very public. So n- now we need to have films. So I know that uh, Frederic Shaw is making, is directing a film which is named "Made in China." But we need to have more films, and so I think that she is one of the first French from Asian descent to speak out about that.
0: Thank you. Um, thank you all for joining us today and for your really interesting questions as well. Um, and if you could just join me in saying a big thank you to Rakaya again. Thank you. Thank you very much.